Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today we're going to talk about all the software updates. Apple released it in Final Cut and iMovie. Tim Cook spoke on sideloading at a privacy summit, and there's a little bit of Twitter news as well. This episode is brought to you by Jamf, ZocDoc, Helix, and Trade Coffee. You'll hear about our friends in a moment. And joining me this week is my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Uh, pretty good, Stephen. Uh, breaking news, everyone. Elon Musk has bought Apple Insider for fifty one point four billion dollars. So, oh man, there we go. Final bid. The Twitter Elon Musk news has been blowing up the last day or so. We're not going to cover it here at the top of the show. We will save it for later because right, right. It's not really Apple related, although it really feels like if there is one social network that is closest to the Apple community, it is Twitter. I have an Apple angle on this, so don't worry. Oh, okay. Very good. Very good. Well, we will we will get to that in a little bit. We got some exciting updates across Apple software, Apple TV Plus. I want to mention that because they've been killing it. But quick shout outs. All of you have given five star ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts, which if you go to the Apple Podcasts page for Apple Insider right now, we have like photos for our hosts and guests. Now you'll see Wes and William and myself. Wes, I don't I don't know if you knew this. I, I didn't know this about William Gallagher our other co-host of this show he's got like a pretty robust wikipedia page have you ever seen this wikipedia page i i looked it up before yeah he's he's a uh, famous he's done everything he's you know he's one of those guys he is somewhat famous and like his picture on the wikipedia page is what i used for the host picture in apple Podcasts. it's very like moody and epic photo i mean he's he's a man of mystery i had no idea so i'm gonna interrogate him about that next time he's on the show he's a big deal over there in great britain apparently but anyway our five star ratings and reviews samuel petroco from south carolina sent an email thank you charles stirk photo and Dari Rosinski from the USA, Dish Doc from Great Britain, he probably knows William, SPS1111 from USA, Showwalker, Tech Hyper, that's pretty cool, it's a good name, USA, and then this last one, an international listener, Mikhail Klimovic from Czech Republic. I believe that's our first Czech Republic listener. Love hearing from people listening all over the world. Very cool. So thank you for those. Apple TV Plus had their first night of live baseball. You can watch two games on Apple TV Plus on Fridays. So Friday, April 8th was the first time you could do it. It was after, obviously, this show recorded and aired. But it was Apple TV Plus baseball. I'll put a link to Upgrade Podcast with Jason Snell and Mike Hurley. He's kind of a huge baseball fan, and he really went in-depth on analyzing the Apple TV Plus experience of watching baseball. He has some interesting things to say. Like, it seems as though since Apple has an exclusive on the game, and there's typically home and away broadcasts that are different for services like MLB TV, it seemed like Apple was able to utilize all the cameras from those two teams for their one broadcast made it feel a little more special, I guess. But I didn't get a chance to watch it. So Wes, you actually saw some of the games on Apple TV+. Plus. What was it like watching it on there? Well, some of my commentary will probably be colored by Jason Snell and others who have talked about this just because I, I share their opinions. I don't always have the right words until I hear, you know, more educated people talk about these things, um, especially when they actually like the sport. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I mean, again, I like watching baseball. I actually enjoyed this game. I, I agree in the fact that Apple did a really good job of making this feel like a more important game than it is because it's you know it's one of the first games of the season who cares right, uh right. no no real stakes here but the announcers were somewhat entertaining the presentation was good the picture was clear the graphics were good i learned that they call the thing a score uh was a score bug right a little bug yeah, yeah i think it is a bug they call it a bug or something and i was like well, okay so that's that's what that's called anyway all that was really cool it was funny seeing the apple tv 
plus logo and the score um, counter up at the top. All the little things, uh, very obviously Apple leaning into certain things. There was a Ask Siri segment during the game where they asked Siri questions about baseball stars. So Apple was definitely taking advantage of their position, owning this, the rights to this. But on the other end, it was also very obviously MLB sponsored mm-hmm. you know people didn't really know what to expect going in and i i assumed that this was going to be the case but now that we've seen it, it it definitely is that apple literally paid mlb for the rights to stream the games so it's not that right. apple owns baseball or you know the mlb or something now it's not that's not what happened apple just has these streaming rights so mlb still hosts the game chooses the ads chooses the you know sponsors and pays the actual uh, commentators right all of that being the case uh, this is still very much an mlb game that you'd get on cable television the difference being apple is running the game from the pipes you know from the game to the tv so we're seeing a lot of different changes that way yeah and i heard that there was like microsoft surface ads you know and stuff like that on the apple tv plus broadcast so there were yeah one of the sponsors was a betting sports app and another sponsor was a home covid testing kit uh very weird ad i might add but um hmm, that's interesting yeah people were making jokes on twitter like you know i'm loving apple tv's uh presentation of Friday night baseball, but I've suddenly got a gambling addiction for some reason. I don't understand. <laughs> so it's it'll, it'll be airing every Friday, you know, if people want to check it out. So again, I'll try to watch it this Friday to get a bit of a feel on on what it's like. But yeah, baseball fans, it's out there. We'll put links to a couple articles we had in the show notes about it. And I just want to mention overall, I think Apple TV Plus has been killing it recently in the content game. I mean, they've announced a third season of For All Mankind, which is one of my favorite shows on the service. Tehran 2, which I love the first season of it. It feels like everyone is talking about Severance, that first season and finale. It was... I don't know, just you see people on Twitter talking about it that are not even in the Apple space. And so it really feels like Apple is doing a great job of making splashes. I started watching Pachinko last night on Apple TV Plus. It's an original and beautiful cinematography, engrossing story. And they have a ton of other announcements. You know, we cover it on AppleInsider.com every time there's a new deal, new show or new movie announced. And one of the knocks on Apple TV Plus from other commentators in the past have been like, well, it doesn't have a back catalog like HBO Max or this. And I feel like after a couple of years, they're going to have a ton of new content and a back catalog already. <laughs> you have Ted Lasso, you have two seasons of For All Mankind. And I understand it's not the breadth of back catalog you'll see on other services like Peacock or Paramount Plus, but I think they're doing a great job of really trying to get great new content. And it's because it's good content, it will be a back catalog that people will want to return to. If no one's seen Ted Lasso, like William Gallagher then they will go and they'll be able to have that back catalog as well. What have you been watching on there? Well, Stephen, uh, just speaking to the catalog, I don't know where these arguments come from other than just for the sake of argument. Um, it doesn't make any sense to me. For me personally, and I, I have a, a very specific taste in things, like I do like good cinema. I've been a movie nerd for quite a while, collecting movies growing up and uh, watching a lot of a lot more indie side of things, a, a lot of Bloomhouse and stuff like that. So it's definitely a weird mix where I can still enjoy like a terrible, terrible Transformers movie with a bucket of popcorn or, same. Yeah, same. you know, watch the latest, uh, amazing, beautiful Wes Anderson, uh, film. I watched that the other day. I, I, have you seen a uh, French dispatch? My God. Anyway. No. Yeah. That is just, if you like Wes Anderson, that is like the, again, epitome of just his work. It's just so him in every way. So well done, mm. not for the kids. So don't watch that with the kids, Sure, sure, sure. but, um, anyway, 
as far as Apple's going, I just don't understand the argument that there's, you know, no value considering there's just so much variety and I'm into so much of it. It's, it's wild. Like I expected going in in 2019, like, yeah, one or two shows look like they'd be interesting, but hit after hit, you know, central park, I've watched everything that isn't a documentary or, or a baby show, literal, like for baby show uh, on that pro on that. So, um, yeah. and maybe not the, and I haven't really watched the foreign programming so much yet. If only just because of time, Yeah, I do want to get into pachinko just cause I've seen some of the uh, work behind the scenes there, but pound for pound, I have watched more shows and finished more shows on Apple TV plus in the, since 2019 than I've seen on Netflix at all period like in, yeah. in the last since in paying the for the entire time so more than what four hundred dollars spent on Netflix right I've watched maybe three TV shows from that uh, platform the entire time I've been watching Apple TV plus and <laughs> especially for those just getting into it if you haven't invested in Apple TV plus yet you've got so much to catch up on there's yeah. multiple seasons of multiple shows that are just absolutely outstanding and I think the argument about back catalog is that Apple TV plus doesn't have a the office or friends or one of those like long-standing TV series that people tend to go back and binge watch or Sopranos for HBO stuff like that and it doesn't have a bunch of movies that someone like Netflix or Amazon Prime have paid for to air on their channels like the Fast and Furious series or something right which you know not speaking of any of the quality of those things but it's saying that they don't have that kind of back catalog and I just think Apple TV Plus is building a platform where they may not ever need something like that because their original stuff is good. There's room for everybody. I, I, I don't think we live in a world anymore where you're going to choose Hulu or Netflix, Apple TV or Disney Plus. I think people with the money uh, and the time are going to invest in multiple platforms. And I dare say that Apple TV Plus should absolutely be one of those platforms you invest in, if only because you can get it with any Apple One subscription bundle. And that bundle right. has so much value in it. It's ridiculous. Netflix is $20 a month now. Yeah. If you want to get like the 4K version, it is 20 a month. And even a standalone Apple TV Plus is five, $5 a month. If you spend the same amount of money on Apple, so if you do $20 a month, I think that's the Apple One the mid-tier, second yeah. tier. Yep whatever that's called. Like I know the top one's like premiere or whatever. It's the second tier. You get Apple music, Apple TV, iCloud storage, all these things. And yeah. all the programming of Apple TV is baked in there and Apple arcade and all of that. And so I, I just don't see the value of Netflix anymore, especially when they like COVID gave them a chance to breathe and they, they've kind of failed to perform here in my opinion, because, and since, since COVID, you know, we've all we've heard is stranger things for stranger things for please keep your subscription. It's coming. <laughs> Honestly, every, Everything I'm watching these days is not on Netflix. It's on Hulu. It's on Disney Plus and Amazon, Apple, yeah. uh, Crunchyroll, you know, and I'm just wondering what's the value of paying $20 a month for one or two shows that I care about? It's crazy. Yeah. And honestly, I have maybe paid for like one or two months of Netflix and then canceled in the last year, probably because I wanted to see a, a red notice or some kind of like popcorn flick. They've been doing a lot of the Ryan Reynolds, you know, it feels like whatever deal they have with Ryan Reynolds is probably paying off but a lot of times it's just for one or two of those movies and then i'll just cancel it because there's not like a breadth of content that i want to see there but you did ask me earlier what i like on apple tv plus and i, I definitely finished severance 
Yes. An amazing yes. show. The finale is painful because I know it's going to be at least eight months before we even get a hint of what's next. Oh, it was an incredible finale, though. It was absolutely amazing. like that. That That is one of those things where like must see TV. Like I, it's a yeah. it's, it's a silly buzzword. But this this really is. It's just like you have to go and watch the show. Don't get spoiled on it for all mankind. Absolutely. One of the one of my favorite shows on here. I'm excited, obviously, for the next Ted Lasso. Less less so um, than I was maybe season two, just because it's good. But um, I'm not you know raving mad over it or anything so uh one of my most favorite just just out of the drama and the consistent storytelling and the amazing characters and actors is probably the morning show i just love Mm. that show i've showed it to everyone that i can amazing drama yeah and i've really i'm really excited for season three and what they're gonna do yeah that's fun yeah i recommend severance for all mankind still probably my favorite and if you liked Back in the day, like 24 style shows, Jack Bauer-esque. I think it is better than that, but Terran has that kind of feel. And so I, I really enjoyed the first season of that one. So. They have Glenn Close in season two. Yes, I saw that. Isn't it funny? I, I don't know why, but for some reason, seeing Glenn Close now at this age, and especially in, in this uh, TV show, isn't she just a striking resemblance to Carrie Fisher? Just wanted to. Oh, yes. I did. Like, I, I, yeah. I can't get over it. I can't get over it. It's so weird. No, no, that is, I do. I do see that. So anyway, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, listeners. What are you watching on Apple TV Plus and what do you love seeing on there? Now, there was a bunch of software updates this past week, kind of across different devices. One was a studio display firmware update, not necessarily to a new version. There's not a version that fixes the webcam quality issue, but there was a little bit of trouble there. I want to see if you had this experience, Wes. But in that update, there was also mention of a new Mac mini device which is a funny place to find that mentioned in a studio display firmware. But we've long heard about a new Mac mini coming soon, probably with an M2 chip. Might be one of the first devices to get that. If Apple follows its release cadence, we'd probably see it in November. I think one of the listener questions actually from the Twitter community was, will we see a a MacBook Air at WWDC? Which I don't think so. I think I am leaning more towards Wes's analysis of late, which has been there's just going to be a consistent release cycle of Mac Mini, MacBook Air, base model MacBook Pro in the fall. And then if anything is announced at WWDC hardware wise, it's going to be that Mac Pro, probably nothing else. I really don't think that we're going to see much else at WWDC. But did you have this uh, firmware thing come through on your studio display? I believe I got an update right when I got the monitor. Now, this isn't to be confused with a new update. This is not a new update. Right, right. Apple had 15.4 when the studio display shipped, and then they pulled the previous release, which is what they normally do to prevent, you know, you can't go back and you, you know, it's a security update. So you don't want people going back anyway. Right. And when they did this, there's no new 15.4.1 or, or what have you update for the monitor. Only the iOS and iPadOS devices got updated. The monitor did not get the latest version. So its existing current version is 15.4. So people getting the new studio display now today or whatever last week could not update their monitor to the newest version because it was pulled from the server. So Apple had to go back and release a special studio display only version of 15.4, which is still the same version as it is 
you know, now you, there's no changes, but apparently someone did do some sleuthing in the code and, and did discover this Mac mini, which there's some discussion around this. Uh, of course, I think everyone's just guessing. There's some people still thinking, oh yeah, there's still an M1 Max, M1 Pro uh, Mac mini coming in the summer and it, it would release it alongside the Mac Pro. And it's just like, is Apple really going to undercut the Mac Pro that's $5,000 starting price with a 999 Mac mini at the same announcement? I, I don't think so. No. I, I I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Stephen. I'm sticking with what I've been saying since, I don't know, 2020, yeah. that Apple is just going to continue its cycle as is. Maybe we could see an iMac in the fall. You know, I don't think they're going to do four Macs. I, there, it, it's more probable that it would be the MacBook Air, Mac Mini, and iMac in the fall. But uh, yeah. if anything, they'll just do exactly what they did before and then do the iMac in the spring with the M2 processor. Anything M2 rumored, just don't expect it till October. That's my guess. Yeah, yeah, I agree. This episode is brought to you by Jamf Mobile Device Management. Listen, if you own a business or in a position to make decisions about the IT of your company and the number of Apple devices are growing, you really need to consider using Jamf for your device management. Over 60,000 organizations rely on Jamf to connect users, manage devices, and protect endpoints while providing same-day support for every Apple release. I've actually used Jamf personally with an organization for over seven years. I have about 60 to 70 devices in there, different ones, iPads, iPhones, even Macs. And the ability to get devices in there quickly, especially those purchased through a business account, they automatically get added. And then applying blueprints where you can set everything from email settings, Wi-Fi passwords. You can configure and customize the perfect Apple device for every user in your company. Jamf is actually trusted by nine of the top 10 tech companies as ranked by Fortune Magazine. So what can it do? Well, there's zero touch deployment, which means you can automate the setup and device deployment regardless of where your user is. You can ship an Apple device to someone in another state, even in another country, and the settings that you're going to be applying in Jamf will automatically show up once that user turns on the device. Jamf features self-service where you can create a self-service portal to empower your users with instant resource access. There are secure workflows for managing all applications in your environment, and it helps with inventory management where you can track the status and enjoy a complete view of your environment. There's security management where you can reduce risk and maintain a streamlined, protected user experience, threat prevention and remediation where you can keep users and your organization safe from malware and threats. Jamf is super easy to use and you can get started even if you just have a few Apple devices in your business, like two to five, even if it's just one, maybe it's a point of sale system that you want to have mobile device management control over, you got to try Jamf. You can see the difference Apple Enterprise Management makes. You can get a free 14-day trial right now if you go to jamf.it slash appleinsider. That's J-A-M-F dot it slash apple insider try it for 14 days and i know you'll love it i know i have for the last seven years our thanks to jam for sponsoring this episode and this episode is brought to you by helix sleep listen sleep is important i know that sounds simplistic but when you're trying to get stuff done you're trying to be productive focused throughout the day on your work or things you're trying to do on the side you're trying to be creative it's so important to have that good night's sleep there were many years where i had Kind of a cheaper or older mattress, didn't upgrade it for a long time, and I was not sleeping well. And it makes such a difference in your everyday life. So stop sleeping on a terrible mattress. Upgrade your sleep experience with Helix Sleep. What I love about Helix Sleep is you go to their website, helixsleep.com slash appleinsider, and you take a quiz. It actually asks about you, how you sleep, back, side, what kind of mattress you typically like, whether it's medium, soft, all that kind of stuff. And then they will make a personal mattress recommendation for you. I took the quiz. I usually sleep on my side. I like a medium firmness. And I was recommended the Helix Plus mattress 
And I've had this mattress for almost two years and it is incredibly comfortable. It lasts and I get a great night's sleep. I've used other internet mattresses before, but this one is really special. If you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz, order the mattress that you're matched to, and it comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. You don't have to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So go to helixsleep.com slash appleinsider, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you with that customized mattress. There's a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I know you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So go to helixsleep, H-E-L-I-X, helixsleep.com slash appleinsider and get up to $200 off your mattress order. Our thanks to Helix Sleep for sponsoring this episode. Now, some of the other updates was to Final Cut, Compressor, and iMovie for iOS and iPadOS. So I've had my Mac Studio now for a few weeks, and I was experiencing, along with others on Twitter, some buggy performance, especially in Final Cut. I was getting some beach balls just when editing, not a ton of 4K or even 8K footage. I was just dealing with like 4K 10-bit, like one or two streams. This M1 Max Mac Studio should have handled plenty well. There were some beach balls. There was weird things with the audio waveforms where whenever I would make it edit, all the waveforms would kind of disappear for a few seconds and I would have to wait, which made editing difficult. So I was thinking there was some kind of software bugs. And so there was an update to Final Cut and Compressor this past week. It is 10.6.2 and it to Final Cut, Compressor and Motion, it fixed pretty much all those issues. It is performing faster and Compressor I actually use Compressor whenever I export a video because I have some custom settings in there and I just like to do it in batches. It would take like three or four minutes to even open. It was very buggy. And so all that is fixed now. The new update, I click Compressor, it opens almost immediately. Things perform faster. We had an article online that the M1 Max, again, I don't have the M1 Ultra version, but I did notice with this software update that about a nine minute 4K video, it shaved about 20 seconds off the export time from like three minutes and 30 seconds to three minutes and 10 seconds. So there's a little better performance, but what I noticed more was in editing performance, less beach balls, things like that. And there was one feature that actually came out for Final Cut that Chrissy Hinojosa on Twitter pointed out to me and then I looked it up on YouTube, saw some videos. Final Cut has had a built-in noise reduction setting. So if you have fan noise or background noise in an audio clip, you can try to have Final Cut reduce the noise and it would work okay depending on what that background noise was. But they've added a new feature in addition to noise reduction called voice isolation. This is another checkbox that you can click and it works surprisingly well. This is the same technology that Apple uses on like FaceTime calls. They announced it last year at WWDC where you can turn on that voice isolation and you know they had that funny video of like a leaf blower person in the background making a lot of noise. You turn on voice isolation and you can hear the person talking a lot better. Well, I will say from the examples that I've heard and just for a few minutes of trying it out, this voice isolation feature is pretty incredible. You can even crank it up and it doesn't sound robotic. You know, that's one of the things with noise reduction settings. If you crank it, you'll start sounding funny. Like if you have spoken word from a talking head video or whatever, and this voice isolation is really impressive. So if you're a Final Cut user and you have some audio clips, you know, previously you've had to use plugins like Isotope RX9, which I also haven't used and works incredibly well, but depending on your use case, this voice isolation might work for the use cases you have cutting out background noise. So Encourage you to get that update, try it out. Voice isolation is a very cool feature. 
And then iMovie for iOS actually added two new features, one called Storyboard and Magic Movie. It took me a while to realize the difference. I actually broke out my iPhone and used them both. But Magic Movie will basically let you choose a bunch of clips or even an album in your photos library. You could have videos and photos. And it'll basically just make a movie out of all those, put background music, and you can just have a movie. It's kind of like the memories feature that Photos does, putting together a video. And Storyboard is really cool. You can choose a kind of video you're trying to make. Maybe it's a do-it-yourself. Maybe it's a product review. That's actually one of the templates you can choose. And then it shows you all the different shots you should insert for a product review. Here's a close-up of the product. Here's a wide shot. Here's a talking head. Here's a mid shot. And you just choose the video clips you want to use, basically walk you through making those kinds of videos. Have you got a chance to try either of those out, Wes? Uh, not really, no. Uh, I don't really uh, mess with iMovie. I, I do take video, mostly family or pets or whatever, but just not really a big part of my workflow. Never really got into it too much. But I do like that iMovie's really powerful, and it makes me wish Apple, uh, I don't know, made a photo editing application that was oh, uh, updated regularly with professional tools and algorithms and such. Don't get me started. Yeah. Don't get me started. You got me started, Wes, because I was a huge aperture lover back in the day when i did travel photography for my work i traveled to other countries i would do photos and videos aperture was what i used when i was traveling to edit all those photos and now i mean there are great applications out there i know the affinity suite has a good application pixelmator i'll mention also actually had a recent update pixelmator is incredible i use it all the time for making like the header images or thumbnails for youtube love pixelmator but when it comes to photo editing aperture was just so good and it is the one Adobe application I still use, not on my Mac, because I don't want any Adobe stuff on my Mac. I use it on my iPad Pro and iPad Mini because I like it contained in there and I would like being able to use the Apple Pencil and it works well there. But I would love to see the resurgence of an Aperture app, even if maybe it just comes to iPad first. I don't know, just like Final Cut is only on Mac, maybe just put Aperture on iPad. Let's see what happens. Yeah, this this is a whole different discussion, but I just really wish Apple would make more apps. I, I think Apple, I mean, they obviously, yes, the, the question is, is they have 32, 50, 30 to 50 apps or whatever pre-installed on the phone. This doesn't have to be pre-installed. Just Apple, make more apps, make more things that are just really nice. Give developers something to go off of, an example, or just give us something really cool that no one else thought of or no one else can do because you have access to things that other people can't. Yeah. And I think non-destructive photo editing is one of those things. I mean, the photos app is great. I mean, it's really powerful for what it is compared to what it was in like 2014. It has come a very long way and it's taken on a lot of really good feature sets, but it's still not quite, you know, aperture. It's definitely no affinity photo uh, or pixel mater. So just something I, on my wish list for sure is just Apple to make more programs internally just because that, why not? You know? Yeah. Here's what I say. Aperture is probably sitting on a server over there at the uh, Apple campus. Just whatever the latest version Aperture was at, just put it back on the App Store. Make it uh, compatible with Apple Silicon. That's probably a lot of work. I'm not really sure. But uh, just do that and release it. Release it to the world. That's what I say. All right. So this leaked recently that Apple is developing a new USB-C power brick, charging brick. It'll be USB-C, but dual USB-C. I understand this is not like a new thing. You can go on Amazon and get ones from Anchor or Hyper or whoever and get like multi-port charging bricks. But this will be the first time Apple actually makes a dual USB-C charger. Supposedly it would be 35 watts, probably a GAN charger. 
And Apple actually leaked it in their own support document. So this is not just unfounded leak. It was actually leaked first from their own support document. And Charger Lab tweeted some renders, they believe, this charging brick has. It has little prongs that actually fold back up into the power brick and looks pretty small. So it's cool. I mean, it's a cool little brick. I don't know if it's something you would buy separate, I imagine. I don't think they would include this, but... Yeah, this is this is probably the most boring leak that they've ever had. <laughs> I, first of all, whatever Apple makes is still not going to be better than whatever you can buy from a third party because uh, it's going to be twice as expensive and do half as much. 35 watts yeah. is nothing these yeah. days. Uh, Satechi sells a three-pronged uh, USB-C charger that has 108 watts that like is still half the size of this render so and i think it's like in the 60 dollar range so that and this whole thing seems to have been debunked upside down like who knows what this looks like but the images going around seem to belong to uh, a mophie brick that's coming out soon so that's completely wrong anyway so we'll 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 see what this thing turns into it'd be cool if apple could finally embrace scan and uh yeah come out with you know 20 30 watt brick the size of their five watt brick that they currently have that's completely worthless which anchor has a 20 watt brick the exact same size of apple's five watt and it's a gan so it can be 25 watts in that small package which gives you fast charging on your iphone which is nice it's just one of those super weird places in apple's product line that you have to ask why aren't they more competitive? I mean, this is Apple we're talking about. If they're going to be charging the premium, why don't these things look like fancy pieces of tech, you know, instead of these gigantic white plastic bricks that are completely destroyed by the competition? Like, there's just no question. I also will point out, speaking about fast charging, MKBHD had a video where he went really in depth about whether or not fast charging will ruin your phone's battery. And I was interested in that because periodically I will fast charge my iPhone. My car charger is actually an anchor power delivery charger. And so it can fast charge in the car. And I was curious, you know, what is the battery degradation like on something like that? Well, I won't spoil it. So I'll, I'll leave that video in the show notes. Uh, you don't have to worry that much. I'll just say that. Yeah. The, the rule of thumb here is if you ever have a question about your battery, you're, al- you're already wrong. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry about it. Charge your stuff when you need to. Don't play games. This isn't, you know, Tetris or, or whatever. You know, I'll unplug it at 11 and a half percent and plug it back in and and then plug it in at, you know, whatever to, to control my battery. It's like, no, the, the computer's got it. There's a chip in there that's smarter than... And 10 of you put together just let it do its thing don't worry about it you're fine your battery's not going to explode into flames or die in a year because you fast charged it yeah and i was actually i tweeted the other day about you know the battery health if you're on your iphone if you go to settings battery battery health it'll tell you the percentage capacity your battery is at which that capacity that capacity degrades over time. The industry standard is that it would still retain 80% of its capacity after two years, which iPhones routinely outpace. Usually people are still in like the 90% something after two years. I had a bunch of people tweet at me. Some actually did have some lower percentages. Like after a year, they were close to 80 with their iPhone 12. So those were curious. The last time I looked at my battery health, it was 100%. And I'm just going to uh, not look at it again. I'm just going to believe it is 100 until I get the iPhone 14, whenever that comes out. Steven, I'll go ahead and ruin it for you. It's 99%. I'll just go ahead. All right, I'm going to look at it. All right, Wes, I'm going to look at it right now. I'm going to my iPhone 13 Pro here. I got my settings. Let me go down to battery. Here we go. I'm going to tap battery health. It is still at 100%, Wes. Ooh, fancy. I don't know how that's possible. Well, I mean, because um, all of this is made up magic. Uh, (laughs) Let let me tell you, as an electrician... (laughs) Don't believe any of it. First of all, like, like 
It's a computer trying to estimate the value of a physical object. They're bad at that. They're just not good at that because mm. batteries are physical chemistry and the amount lithium that, you know, ion that is working towards your battery being at a, you know, so much milliamp hour worth. It's like, a, I don't know, like trying to design a Rube Goldberg machine to weigh a cat, you know, like <laughs> you can do it. It's just really nonsensical. And that's basically the computer version of this. Like it can guess really close, but it's not always going to be accurate. So I guarantee you it's not actually 100%. It's close enough to 100% that it doesn't care to show you that number. Yes. Just like the battery percentage. Let me tell you guys another. I know a lot of you complain that you can't see your battery percentage in your iPhone because the notch took away all the space to show that it's worthless information. It doesn't actually tell you anything. That's why sometimes you'll see your battery. Oh, yeah. And you look at it and at, it's at 30%. That's great. Lasts you a couple more hours. Pick up your phone. It's 8%. Well, that's because it did a mathematical error. Didn't calculate it correctly. Or the temperature in your pocket rose too much because you're walking around and now your battery's dying. Right. These numbers don't actually give you exact things. And people, a lot of people go into these things expecting that this is like an exact calculation, an exact equation. Don't worry about it. I promise you it's a guess at best and you can just keep living your life. <laughs> it's about 50%. Yeah. That's all you need to know. You don't need to start thinking about, well, if I fast charge it now and it'll take a, you know, two days off of the expected battery life at the end of its life. No, no. Don't need to do that. I actually prefer, it took me a while, but I prefer not to have the percentage of the battery seen because it would just make me it would just give me battery anxiety. Like I just yeah. didn't want to have to think about it. And I will say old rechargeable battery styles like the nickel cadmium or whatever, you know, you need to do things where you discharge it fully. So the battery would basically remember its full capacity. And if you tried to keep it charged at the top, that it would, you know, mess that up. That's no longer the case. You don't have to do it. So I will just say this is, I, I got to the point in myself that I could do this listener. I encourage you to do it too. Just charge your phone when you can. You can charge it in the car. You can charge it in the middle of the day. It's okay. Don't try to get it low for any reason. It's actually better for the lithium ion batteries to stay closer to a full charge or 80% than it is to stay at like low 20% or under. So listen, just charge your phone when you want to keep it charged up. You're good to go. Steven, have you ever been in an older car and driven up a hill and your gas tank suddenly goes down below a quarter of yeah. a tank <laughs> Yes, I and remember. then you go down a hill and it goes up above three quarters of a tank. Yeah. That's yeah. the same thing that your battery uh, percentage is. It's your, it's just a thing doing its best with physical objects. It, it has no idea <laughs> that you're going up a hill right now and you're all of your gas went to the back of your car. So yeah, I'll put a screenshot though of my hundred percent battery capacity. If you don't believe me, that'll be, that'll be the chapter art for this little inter interstitial chapter. Okay. Before we get to Tim cook on sideloading, I do want to mention there's been some Apple patents and Bloomberg rumors about things that they are working on, especially in the health area. Number one are new patents related to sleep tracking, which I actually do the sleep tracking on my Apple watch. I use both the built-in health sleep tracking, and I also use a different app called SleepWatch to kind of get a little more data from it. But it looks like Apple is trying to research how to use more devices to help with sleep tracking. You can get sensors that you like put under your pillow and even in your mattress, but they're researching ways to use things like HomePod microphones to hear your snoring and monitor movements. That could sound a, a creepy. Again, I'm sure you'll be able to approve it. There'll be many dialogue boxes about do you want to enable this but i will say there are other apps already that do this where if you want a sleep tracking app to just have the microphone record things when there is something to hear while you sleep this could help you know if you're trying to 
diagnose whether or not you have sleep apnea or something like that. It can hear like pauses in breathing and stuff like that. So there's apps that can do that already. Apple seems like they're trying to instill some of those features in the built-in health app. I will say I was tempted to try that one time just to see like, do I talk in my sleep? How loud do I snore? But then I was like, if that records something weird happening in the middle of the night, ignorance is bliss once again. <laughs> I don't want to know. So I didn't let it record any audio while I was sleeping. But again, just more advances in the health field is great. Apple is really making a priority there. And also Bloomberg, Mark Gurman has said that Apple is working on blood pressure monitoring on the Apple Watch. That would be a welcome health feature, I'm sure. It is still two to three years away, so we're probably not going to see it this year in the Series 8. And I'm also curious how they're going to do that. Is that you're going to need a special watch band to actually monitor the blood pressure, or if they can somehow do it with kind of all the different lights and stuff that they do with heart monitoring and blood oxygen, which blood oxygen is not as accurate even as like a finger thing because of the... Mo- way that the Apple Watch does it. So would be curious how they would instill that one day, but that would be another big audience for the Apple Watch to gain if you could do blood pressure monitoring right on your watch. Well, I could just see a modern family episode where the wife has uh, discussed with Siri her husband's snoring problems, and now they're sitting at a table with a HomePod next to her saying, now you tell him what you told me. (laughs) Sure. Anyway, I I just I I think it's interesting. Um, I've done the health, the sleep tracking before with uh, night recording. Usually most of the time, it's funny how much noise happens, (laughs) like just hearing car door slam and police sirens and you're just totally oblivious to all of it. Yeah, that stuff's nice i i I like the idea of more ambient computing apple has all these computers in our house now creepy or not like make use of them sure i I don't know i just i i hope that they get more into presence detection more so than uh finding out whether or not you're snoring i i don't think that this is the best use of the technology but we'll see what they do and as far as blood pressure i mean we've heard this rumored for years now as just uh an aside i don't know how viable that is as an apple watch thing part of the blood pressure measurement that is the cuff uh squeezing your arm and literally stopping your yeah to in order to to check and it's just like how do you get that measurement without constricting your blood flow anyway it's it's an odd thing obviously it's scientifically possible or we wouldn't be discussing it at all just like the blood glucose i think this technology's just out of reach and it's going to rely a lot on breakthroughs that just haven't happened yet and we expect those breakthroughs any day which is why we keep hearing about the technology again and again so we'll see yeah we'll see this episode is brought to you by our friends at trade coffee And I say they're my friends because when someone gets me an incredible cup of coffee, I consider them a very good friend. I love coffee. I brew my own cold brew at home, my own nitro cold brew. And what I love about Trade Coffee is that it sends me beans from independent roasters, roasters from big cities or small towns alike, ships it to my door, and it makes some of the best cold brew coffee or whatever coffee that you prefer. Listen, buying those coffee beans from the grocery store, often they can be sitting there for a long time. They're stale. Instead, upgrade your coffee game. Trade Coffee sends you freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters, small business farmers. And whether you consider yourself a coffee snob or you just know when coffee tastes really great, well, Trade's real coffee experts personally taste test over 450 roasts so they know exactly what to recommend for you. And the truth is, 
Everybody's different. That's why I love when you go to drinktrade.com slash Apple Insider, you take a brief quiz so Trade Coffee learns how you like your coffee, whether you want caffeinated decaf, whether or not you put cream or sugar in it, and how you make your coffee, whether it's pour over, cold brew, traditional style. And if you're not sure what to pick, you can let Trade Coffee decide for you. And then Trade delivers a bag of freshly roasted coffee, whole beans or ground, however you brew it, and they'll guarantee you'll love your first order or they'll replace it for free. I recently had the Greater Goods Coffee Beans from Austin, Texas. It was a top rated for cold brew and it tasted incredible. I loved using it in my nitro cold brew maker. Trade has delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee with more than 750,000 positive reviews. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off their first order plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash appleinsider. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. That's a good amount of coffee. So get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash appleinsider and let Trade find you a coffee you will love. That's drinktrade.com slash appleinsider for $30 off. Our thanks to Trade Coffee for sponsoring this episode and our good friends at ZocDoc. And yes, I consider them friends too because they help me find local doctors in my area that I can be sure to take my insurance plan and I can book an appointment right there in their app. ZocDoc is a totally free app. You download it. Depending on what doctor you need to find, they have specialists, they have general practitioners. Then you put in your insurance provider, even your specific insurance plan, and ZocDoc will show you the doctors in your area that accept your insurance. I'm sure you have felt that frustration. Hey, just trying to make an appointment on the phone is a frustration by itself. But then when you get to the place, you've made an appointment, and you find out they don't take your insurance, and you have to do the whole process over again. Well, you don't have to call a doctor's office anymore to make an appointment. Use the free ZocDoc app to find doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. Yes, you can also see what other patients have reviewed these specific doctors in the app. And you can make appointments even as soon as 24 hours. There's doctors available right now as you need them. You go to ZocDoc.com or the app, choose a time slot. You can book an appointment in person or do a video visit. You find the doctor that's right for you. And every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to book a doctor. And so in this chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that is surprisingly pain-free. With ZocDoc, you can get your docs in a row. They wrote that pun. I'll be honest. It's a good pun, but I didn't come up with it. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider, download the free ZocDoc app for free, then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash Apple Insider, ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider today. Our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, I wanted to mention Tim Cook spoke at the International Association of Privacy Professionals, the IAPP. They have an annual event called the Global Privacy Summit. And of course, I mean, why wouldn't they feature Apple, who is one of the leading forces in privacy in the tech space? You say that, Stephen, but this is their first time appearing at this particular conference. Oh, really? I, I'm fairly certain I wrote about this. Okay. Well, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, Tim Cook had a lot to say, really took a stance against sideloading, which is the ability to install apps on your iPhone or iPad outside of the App Store. A couple pull quotes. Tim Cook said that, quote, a world without privacy is less imaginative, less empathetic, less innovative and less human. He said that to the audience. He also talked about how sideloading would allow data-hungry companies to avoid privacy rules that Apple has set in place, track users against their will, 
and he insists, Tim Cook says, that it will allow bad actors to work around security protections that Apple has implemented in its ecosystem. And Tim Cook's used this example about some COVID-19 tracing apps that on Android, there were some illegitimate COVID-19 tracing apps that people downloaded, and only later it was found that it infected their device with ransomware that did not happen on iPhone because those apps would have been rejected from the App Store and they were not there to download. It's funny Apple spoke here at all because they spoke alongside like the FTC chairman and the European commissioner and stuff like all these people who are vocally against everything Apple does uh, in terms of privacy and security. But I guess Apple just wanted to go there to uh, make themselves known amongst this community. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, you know, this argument, we've talked about it before. There is the stance of, listen, the Mac allows you to install applications outside of the Mac App Store. And Apple claims that it is also private and secure. They have other gatekeepers, like literally gatekeepers, a feature where you can change whether or not you can install apps from trusted developers or install apps from everyone. Anytime you download an app from a third party outside of the app store, there's like three or four dialogue boxes that warn you about installing it and what that app might do. So we do see security and privacy measures on the Mac even with apps installed outside of the App Store. So one of the arguments has been Apple could institute those same kinds of privacy features, but on iPhone and iPad. You know, the whole Apple developer community is kind of split on this. One side really wants it, especially to avoid Apple's 30% or 15% cut, depending on, you know, your size of app and how many sales you do. I think it's a million dollars a year. If you're over a million a year, Apple takes 30%. If you're under that, you can apply for Apple's small business program. They'll only take 15%. So there's a lot of takes on it. I'm still undecided personally. I don't know. What do you think? I think we've talked about this before to yeah, uh, ad yeah. nauseum, but I just I just want to point out, like for whatever reason, these discussions uh, all center around what individuals think and what individuals want, what nerds want. And I think the conversation needs to look at the wider scope. Look at the audiences for these products. Okay, the iPhone has an install base of you know a quarter of the planet versus the Mac being much, much lower. I, I, I don't want to pull up numbers right now, but we know yeah. the install base of the Mac is just fractional compared to the iPhone and the iPad even. The iPad is a much larger install base even than the Mac. So looking at those numbers and deciding how the operating system operates, I, I think it makes sense that the iPhone that is in more people's hands, more casual users' hands uh, than the rest of the world it makes sense that the iPhone is just an absolute lockdown, whereas the Mac starts out an absolute lockdown. But if you are a nerd or a developer who's going to be working on this computer um, and needs access to certain systems, has the ability to go in and change settings and get access to those systems, should that be possible in the iPhone? It's a bit more difficult, I think, uh, to answer. I don't think so. I think it opens too many doors to abuse. Just for example, like because uh, Apple's had to squash so many of these things. Is it Onavo Connect? Uh, whatever that Facebook um, VPN that they were giving to kids yes, back yes. before Apple just obliterated them out of existence just used a basically like there's no rules against this so we're going to take advantage of it use the system to allow people to install a vpn to collect literally every ounce of data from everyone kids adults whatever and use it to advertise to them and facebook was clearly malicious in their intent but whatever what have you and apple uh changed how VPNs work on their devices. So that doesn't work anymore. They couldn't do that. And and this system required someone to install an app, install a profile and navigate through a few systems that most consumers will never touch. 
and people did it anyway because they were offered free whatever. Mm. I think if sideloading, even if it is a secret switch and settings that you can turn on or whatever, if that is there, people will go out of their way to defeat their own protections just because they think they can get Angry Birds for free. And uh, I don't like that. Mm. Yeah, there will be that segment. I also think seeing how Apple has approached the, you can link to your website from your app change that just happened recently and how many warning screens and how big and obvious those screens say like, you know, you're leaving Apple's this, you know, this is the risk or whatever that you're taking. You know, I'm sure Apple will go above and beyond to warn consumers what they're doing. I agree to your point. Like some people will just blow through those because they just want to download whatever they think for free. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. I'll leave it as undecided yet. We'll return to this maybe another time soon. But listeners, let us know if, if you have strong feelings about sideloading. Uh, be curious to hear it. Hit us up on Twitter. Wes and I's Twitter handles are in the show notes. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, I, this isn't in show notes. I'll add it real quick. But I wanted to point out the day after this privacy thing. Yes. Some, some study came out and said Facebook lost $12.8 billion in 2022 for Apple's app tracking transparency. Yeah, that is something. So, all right, well, I, we want to touch on Elon on Twitter. Uh, if some of you are going to check out before we talk about this, I will say I have some special guests coming up, some interview episodes in the next couple of weeks, some returning guests, some new guests. So keep your eyes on the Apple Insider feed, the podcast episodes. There'll be some new ones dropping. Uh, look around Mondays and Tuesdays for the next couple of weeks. That's all I'll say there. Also, Andrew and I talk about Apple's stale lineup of some products like the iPod Touch. And so that'll be on HomeKit Insider on Monday. And we also had a Twitter thread about home screens. I tweeted something out. I tweeted my home screen and it kind of blew up. Tons of home screens. So if you want us to talk about home screens and maybe me, Wes, and William kind of talk about our home screens on the show, let me know. We'd love to hear uh, if you'd like to know about that. And also I'll put a link in show notes. We talked about streaming and Apple TV Plus, but John Syracuse, he's on the ATP podcast. He really has strong feelings about streaming apps and the interface. And he's a very smart guy, he's a developer. Recently went independent, quit his full-time job to do like podcasting and other stuff full-time. So that's pretty cool. But he had an article talking about all the different streaming apps and why many of them are bad and what they need to do to be good. So I'll put that link in the show notes as well. It's hypercritical.co is his website. He has it on there. But again, link in show notes. But finally, Elon Musk and Twitter. So last week, Elon Musk bought a 9.2% stake in Twitter, making him the largest individual stakeholder of the company. It was announced that he would be joining Twitter's board of directors where he would have greater influence. Then it turned out he backed away. Elon did not want to be on the board for whatever reason. Maybe he realized he wouldn't have the influence he wanted to or whatever it is. So that was the last news. And then just this week, really right before we recorded and it's kind of all happening now as we record, Elon Musk put forth an official offer letter to literally buy Twitter. He would be buying it outright for $41.39 billion, paying $54 a share, becoming the owner of Twitter. And so that's what Elon Musk wants to do. He says in his letter that he believes Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. He wants to take it private, no longer publicly tradable or investable. Those are words. And he really has strong feelings about free speech and some of the moderation things that Twitter does. And he has not said specifically what he would want to change, but it's clear that he wants to change the platform at large. So this is news right now. Again, we don't know. If he's going to buy it, Twitter can reject this offer, of course. There are ramifications of Twitter doing that, especially for their stock price, because I'm sure investors are watching this whole situation closely. I do think it is fascinating. 
that someone like Elon, who has built multiple companies from scratch, he started PayPal, he has Tesla, he has SpaceX, rather than trying to start his own social network that he can run as he wants, he is wanting to buy a platform. I think this speaks to how difficult it is to start a new social network today in 2022 and actually make it popular. Instead, he probably wants to take advantage of the, what, 84 million followers he has on Twitter and be able to have more control. Oh, excuse me, 81.7 million followers. I'm sure I'm going to get some angry internet response. Uh, And by the way, I, I have seen some people comment Look, guys, if you ever want to talk about anything we talk about on this podcast, please let me know. I'm happy to have a conversation. Anyway, um, Elon Musk is an interesting character. He has a very critical following. I'm not sure that he would be a good fit for Twitter. I don't think he has any real business uh, buying this company. It will change fundamentally what it is if he buys Twitter. And uh, I think for the worse, for a lot of reasons, just because he's made it very clear that he wants to change how speech is controlled on the platform and basically allow anyone to say whatever they want without any moderation. And that is not a good thing, guys. I, I know uh, I can hear this, the free speech, whatever's come, you know, from the rafters just yelling at me about it. It's not how this works. This isn't free speech, right? This is a private company making decisions for moderation purposes. And if we let anyone say whatever they want, including the hateful people, then it's just going to turn into a platform where everything is drowned out by hate. Twitter's already pretty much a hellscape, and I cannot see how letting the people that we've blocked and banned from having a community on Twitter, starting to let them have communities on Twitter. If anyone has any examples of speech that has been blocked by Twitter official that should be allowed, that is not hate, that is, you know, something that could get through, I'd love to hear it because so far, all I've seen is hate, misinformation, racism, that type of stuff being what people are complaining about being blocked. And it's crazy to me that like people, especially someone as intelligent or supposedly intelligent as Elon Musk saying the speech on Twitter is being too controlled. I don't know. I just don't, I don't think it's a good idea to treat Twitter like whatever a town square is. I've heard this term thrown around a lot in the last couple of days, and I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah. And I, well, and I will say looking at what it would mean for there to be no moderation, like I don't think that's a viable option for any kind of social media platform in 2022 not talking about any specific topics, blocking or not, but just spam. And, you know, there's been a lot of news about YouTube comments and how many spam accounts are trying to impersonate other people. And it's literally tricking people into spending hundreds of dollars because they think they've won something. And so moderation, even just at the level of spam and stopping nefarious actors is a challenge, is a problem. And that is even apart from a free speech aspect, that is just spam, bots, all that kind of stuff. And so that is an area that Elon Musk does not really have experience with. I mean, electric cars, space, and previously PayPal, like none of those platforms have or had any kind of content moderation. And so claiming that he knows what needs to be done in this area, I am would be curious to hear actual specifics of what he wants to do. Yeah, no, no specific person has all the answers. And he has revealed some of the specifics. He wants an edit button. He wants sure. no ads. He, he wants complete idealized freedom of speech, which is not 
the freedom of speech of our government. This is not the First Amendment he's talking about. He's talking about literal, absolute freedom to say whatever you want without consequences. This is very different from what our constitutional amendment states. Yeah, yeah what the constitutional amendment gives us. Like, that's a completely different topic, completely different thing. So do not get it conflated. This is not a freedom of speech issue. There's so many problems with this, uh, not just from a trade standpoint. Like, Elon has a lot to gain. Uh, he just bought 9% stake in Twitter. And guess what? If he doesn't get his way, he's selling it. Well, guess what happened after he announced he's buying the company? It has shot up right. a lot today in trade. And as soon as he hears back from them shareholders, even if he doesn't publicly announce it, he's scheduling his shares for sale. Mm. Uh, and he stands to make a lot of money from this. And he said in his letter that if he is not able to buy it, he will basically pull his investment because he is unsure of the future of the platform, yeah, which like, would have huge ramifications in the stock market. Absolutely. And, and, and here's the other thing. So I've been hearing a lot of analysts talk about this. To, like This is breaking news, so we don't have that much information, but I've, I've gathered as much as I could. And they're all in it like he doesn't have this money this he doesn't you know he's not walking around with this money in his pocket all of his value is investments so he would have to sell 41 billion dollars worth of stock that is a huge chunk of tesla or spacex stock uh either way like he would lose a lot of his controlling share in either of those companies just to gain Twitter. He would have to do like, that's how this would have to happen. He's unless he somehow gets a $41 billion loan, which isn't going to happen. Like he, this money is not liquid. He has to sell his stocks in his other companies to even get Twitter in the first place. And right. even though he made it sound like a great deal, like he, you know, he's blowing it up. Like I multiplied it by two from when I bought shares or what have you, you know, no, it's not a like, Fiscally, this is not a good deal for shareholders. It would mean a lot of the larger Twitter stakeholders would get a good buyout, but it also would be underselling the company for what it's worth. What he's offering is different from evaluation, and companies know that. And it's actually, there's probably a lot of backdoor discussions. I heard this, you know, on eh, however reliable you want to take it from some analysts on CNBC. It would be insane to think that other companies, if Twitter's for sale, if the, if the board is even considering Elon's offer, you, you'd be wild to think that other companies aren't thinking of putting a bid on the table. You know, Apple, yeah. Microsoft, and Facebook are all talking about putting in bids for Twitter now way higher than this sure. uh, $41 billion stock because they have the money to do it. Yeah, I will just say my, my closing-ish statement, I do think Twitter is unique in the social media landscape, especially when you look at how world governments and leaders and politicians literally use Twitter to announce things and use it as a broadcasting engine. When you look at any news channel, regardless of political side, you know, Twitter is quoted, tweets are used in, you know, those kinds of stories. And because it is so open, unlike Facebook and Instagram, but that you can embed a tweet in an article, which you can do with Facebook stuff and Instagram, but I find it not as open and free to use where tweets can come up in Google searches and things like that. There is something unique and dare I say special about the social network that Twitter has created. It's unfortunate that it's one of the smallest in compared to Facebook and Instagram and not saying it has had a perfect track record as far as changes and updates and moderation and all that. But I am hopeful, regardless of what happens with this Elon situation, that I hope that Twitter stays for a while and actually does get better because I believe it has the best potential, the highest potential to be a actual 
good source of information, which would, of course, take moderation and take a large team and take innovation and all of that. But I am hopeful. So I just really hope it doesn't get screwed up. That's it. Twitter is the only platform on the internet that is not Facebook. Like, think of it that way. I mean, you have TikTok, but it's not the same. It's not the same. It's TikTok is uh, no. Yeah, You're not going to have political leaders making announcements on TikTok. They're going to do it in a tweet. Maybe they maybe they will. TikTok is interesting in the fact that it is social media, but it is it's I put it in the same vein as YouTube. Yeah, it's a different conversation. Correct. As far as uh, what you would call a micro blog platform right facebook and twitter are it all right like the the place where you go to post inane updates about your life or whatever like that like sure tiktok again but that's video i'm talking about text i'm talking about you know words photos exchange stuff like that like a very specific style of platform and twitter you know yeah mastodon and uh what what, what's that one there's like a micro dot blog like there's other platforms yeah yeah, they may as well not exist the numbers are insignificant we're talking about thousands of users versus millions or billions of users and twitter it really is the only other option and you know elon musk taking control it's not going to change it overnight or anything it's not going to be like this great trash fire where everyone just deletes their account but like i like i'm not going to leave twitter uh uh, just because Elon buys it or whatever. Like I, that's not the stance I'm taking, but what I am saying is, is I think it would be worse for where if he does take it over, I think a private, like a company like this should be run by shareholders. I think it should have a board that votes on things. I think they should do a better job. Twitter is not perfect. They have a lot of things that they could fix. They definitely have a lot of moderation, uh, things that they could improve. There's a lot of things on this platform that are still bad. That shouldn't be there. Musk has done a lot of good work. Like he is really good decision maker, which, you know, he echoes like I've seen comparisons to Steve Jobs. So like he echoes Steve in the way that he can execute ideas and make decisions and have the right people around to get his vision completed. But he himself isn't perfect by any means. And we cannot like let ourselves get absorbed by the fact he's made this cool fancy car or wants to go to mars like those are all great ideas and there's a lot of money sunk into it but there are flaws here and going from electronic car maker to social media ad, like leader i i don't see how those two things yeah. translate yeah anyway all right well listeners <laughs> let us know what you think about anything we discussed twitter and elon or other things, I forgot what we talked about because it's so deep in this conversation, but tweet at Wes and myself. Our Twitter handle is in the show notes. There's a new Twitter community for Apple Insider. You can tweet at us there. Also, if you support the show, you can send us your messages privately in a special Discord channel just for Apple Insider podcast supporters. You can support at patreon.com slash Apple Insider, where you get an ad-free version of the show and early access, or directly in Apple Podcasts. You could support us there as well. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>